0: Nine three WBT. And uh, it's a Tuesday. It's two o'clock. Speaker of the House, Tim Moore. Welcome, sir. How are you? Are you? Uh, I thought hey, I just saw it.
1: good to be with you today. How are you,
0: sir? I'm doing well. So not hanging out at the uh, legis- Joint Legislative Commission on Governmental Operations Subcommittee on Use and Distribution on the Federal COVID Funding?
1: Well, you know, I've been uh, paying close attention to it. I've got good members on there, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the uh, report shows. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to be uh, rolling out some uh, new things uh, next week related to this. But uh, uh should be some good, uh, some good information coming out there that uh, folks are wanting to know and want to make sure this money is being spent in the right way.
0: So have you thought about, like, uh, uh, maybe getting... Like acronyms for these committees that, so we could just call them like an acronym committee. That's a really long committee name, just for a radio we guy's to find, sake.
1: We just need to find one that we call the huge committee,
0: right? <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and with it's only huge. one member, or maybe, or maybe two. Like <laughs> that'd be uh, pretty good. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let me start uh, actually first with uh, this redistricting lawsuit stuff. Um, Were you surprised that you were not able to persuade uh, Justice Earls or Irvin to recuse themselves from hearing the case that I think is pretty obvious, at least in the case of Anita Earls? It it is she is obviously conflicted, um, but she's still she says she can be impartial she can be non-biased while hearing a case that's uh, being funded by one of her donors as well as litigated by one of her former uh, law partners
1: you know i I practice law or or at least sort of do now still um, uh, and i've been a lawyer i guess 26 27 years it's been a while and you think about this uh justice earl actually sued the legislature, just a, just a few years ago, right before she was a justice on the Supreme Court, representing essentially the same plaintiffs and the same arguments, and, and was proposing maps. For her to hear this as a judge is just is shocking. It really is. Uh, the, the whole, if if you had a case come before a judge in court and they had represented plaintiffs for so that. And the similar lawsuit in the past, to think that they would be the ones hearing the case just doesn't make sense. And uh, the, uh, the, the the RSLC put out an ad, I don't know if you've played it on, on the show, but uh, basically it's one showing the refs, right? And you can imagine, I mean, the refs wear black and white shirts. They're supposed to be impartial. They're not supposed to uh, be on a team. And uh, to, to think of the judge as essentially a ref wearing one of the uh, team jerseys that's uh, kind of what it looks like, and I think it's going to create doubt. But, you know, the real deal is B, that the court should not be wading into political issues like this. This is a political decision constitutionally given for the legislature to decide. And for the court to be wading into this uh, it's just highly improper.
0: Well, I, th- I think, though, that uh, according to uh, your colleague, Deb Butler, uh, according to her thinking on this, this is all... The Republicans' fault because they put the D's and the R's back on the ballot, so voters would know. See, and had you not done that, then you the the courts would not have been politicized. I think that's the argument.
1: Yeah, that that that's when we used to see uh, Democrats do the same thing when they were running nonpartisan. Again, that's more uh, just distraction from the real issue, which is a court that is elected. Uh, It's still a court, and it should not be wading into political decisions, whether it was nonpartisan or partisan. Uh, The Constitution of the state says the legislature draws the districts. but, But just look at what Democrats are doing elsewhere. You want to see gerrymandering? Go look at what happened in New York. Look at what happened in Illinois. Look at what happened in California. These crazy things that look like spider webs drawn all around. That's what they've done. And if you look at the districts, and you've done a good job talking about this um, if you look at the districts that we've, that we've Since we keep counties together We don't unnecessarily split municipalities um, we, we It just you, the, you can show the picture There's that before and after I think it shows When the, remember the Democrats uh, Had that old district That ran from Gastonia to Durham Yeah Sometimes it was only as wide As like one lane of Interstate 85 I mean that's the kind of junk That, that, that they did when they were Last in charge of this process And uh we didn't do that. We, we did great maps, open process, didn't take into account race, political data, any of that. And it just seems like it's still never enough. But uh, I'm, I'm hopeful the court will do the right thing. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in session to deal with whatever happens.
0: Right um governor vetoed moving the primary giving you guys a couple of more uh weeks in case the court does uh strike the maps down it would have given you some more weeks to draw the new maps and i get, i think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and i think we kind of both saw that as the likely outcome uh probably for politics as well because now it for it by vetoing it now it puts the legislature on a too tight of a timeline right and the idea there is that you get the courts to draw the maps which is what democrats would prefer
1: right well bear in mind this is the same governor of course who vetoed legislation that was that out of state private money coming into influence elections like the mark zuckerberg thing mm-hmm. the same governor who vetoed a provision that said guess what when somebody Uses as an excuse for their jury duty that they're not a citizen. Uh, object- he vetoed a bill that would say that they've been re- if they're on the voter rolls, they're removed because they're not a citizen. I mean, and then the same governor who has fought voter ID. Uh, I'm afraid that he's no, no more interested in voter integrity and fair elections uh, than, than anything else. It's all about uh, trying to elect Democrats, nothing more, nothing less. And so I'm not surprised he vetoed it, but I am disappointed. Uh, but I'll tell you, the, the people know this. The people realize what's happening. And just like what they did in Virginia this last election and what they're pushing back on, uh, they are gonna, they're going to they're going to have the ultimate decision, the ballot box. And it's just not enough things, I think, that the Democrats are going to be able to do to try to to, to steal these elections that we're not going to be able to overcome. We're going to keep um, you know, working on the laws that we passed. We're going to sue what we have to do. Um, but Just to make sure that we have fair and free elections uh, in this state, and I tell you what we need to do is we need voter ID, vote in person on election day with a photo ID. You do that, it's pretty hard to cheat. And I tell you, these districts, if they're upheld uh, or at least partially upheld, I think it'll be a I think it'll be a good election year, and it'll be some uh, fair elections that people will be proud of.
0: So now you realize, as soon as you start talking about election integrity and you start questioning that. You open yourself up to potentially uh, being uh, uh, accused and a complaint filed against you as an insurrectionist. You realize that, right? Like, are you aware that that could happen to you now because you've said that? Well,
1: I don't don't think that's quite the same thing as what (laughs) others have done that have been accused of that. But I will say this. Uh, I, I think that part of the criticism has to do with, like, the voting machines. You hear about that? I'm telling you, the voting machines are not from what i can tell the problem the problem of the voter rolls the voter rolls aren't being cleared up of dead voters uh voters who are not here illegally the the, the, the same day registration which is rife for opportunities of fraud and then at the end of the day not having voter id if those things are addressed you would take care of 90 percent of the problems um and so that that's that's something that we need to keep uh harping on and we're going to and, you know, Just remember, just a few years ago, the people of this state went, and by almost 60% approved voter ID
0: to the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, thanks for your time, as always, sir. We appreciate it. Safe travels to you. Hey, great to be with you as well. Thanks. All right. News Talk 1110 ninety nine three wbt Thanks again to the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, for hanging out for a little while. So the uh, the question I asked him about the (laughs) about the insurrection and the uh, rebellion status uh, that is about uh, Congressman uh, Madison Cawthorn, who um, is the target of a very novel approach to uh, preserving the democracy, which is to unseat the people's choice from a particular district. That's what the left means when they talk about protecting democracy. That and also getting rid of the filibuster because 52 senators agree with the majority position. So they got to get rid of that. So the minority gets to win when they're the minority. So that's what democracy looks like uh, in the Senate. Anyway, Madison Cawthorn, whose eligibility for reelection to Congress is being formally challenged at the State Board of Elections, has now begun his legal fight against that effort. Will Duran at the News and Observer, McClatchy Papers, uh, he writes that aside from a blanket, one sentence denial, Cawthorn does not address the allegations against him. Namely, that he supported and possibly even helped plan the January 6th, 2021 attack on Congress by supporters of Republican President Donald Trump attempting to overturn the results of the 2020 election. And by the way... um. Trump put out the statement. I have it here. Hang on a second. Uh, well, because he got to save all of these things because he doesn't just tweet them now. They're on these. He puts out these press release things. All right. Uh, this is what he sent out January 30th. The president did. If the vice president, Mike Pence, had absolutely no right to change the presidential election results in the Senate, despite fraud and many other irregularities, how come the Democrats and rhino Republicans like wacky Susan Collins are desperately trying to pass legislation that will not allow the vice president to change the results of the election? All right, that's actually not what it's going to do. But anyway... Um, Actually, what they are saying is that Mike Pence did have the right to change the outcome, and they now want to take that right away. Unfortunately, he did not exercise that power. He could have overturned the election. So now that is obviously the proof that people need to cite uh, when they say, you know, Trump was trying to overturn the election results, and now he just says it right there. So, I mean, I'm just letting you know. You can believe it or not. I'm just letting you know. That's what his statement says. Um, His lawsuit, this is back to Madison Cawthorn, his lawsuit says the North Carolina Board of Elections actually doesn't have the authority to keep him off the ballot in the first place. And so the challenge against him should be dropped, which, of course, this this is the better legal route to go. You challenge the ability to even bring the complaint in the first place rather than argue the merits of the complaint. Right. When candidates are accused of being ineligible for office, the state in North Carolina law, and this is why they chose Madison Cawthorn. One of the reasons why they chose Madison Cawthorn is because in North Carolina, the law puts the onus on the accused. You are guilty until proven innocent, essentially, in these challenges. And so this is the argument that his lawyer is going to make. The state, in, according to the law, the burden of proof by statute is on the accused, not the accuser, which is the opposite of how it works in criminal trials. And so uh, the lawsuit says, quote, here, Representative Cawthorne is required to produce countervailing evidence to prove a negative that he did not engage in an insurrection based upon nothing more than the challenger's, quote, reasonable suspicion. That's what they, they they say they have a reasonable suspicion based on reports by legacy media outlets that I would submit really aren't, I mean, they're like these reports that they're relying on are anonymously sourced and far be it for me to suggest that anonymous sources sometimes lead media astray. Such a burden shifting requirement as applied to Cawthorn here violates his constitutional rights to due process under the 14th Amendment, which is ironically the very amendment that they're, uh, that they filed the complaint under. The challengers against Cawthorn, being led by two former North Carolina Supreme Court justices, have hoped to, but they don't get engaged in the politics, remember. It's only because we know D's and R's on the ballots. That's the reason why the courts and the justices are political. Um, They have hoped to use the state's process for determining a candidate's eligibility to force Cawthorne to testify under oath about his role in the January 6th attack, since the burden is on him to prove that he is eligible. See, so they're using this quirk in the law, which is was it was essentially designed in North Carolina statute. It was designed to get at residency issues. That was the point. Right. So when it makes more sense in. If you're thinking about it in those terms where, you know, you run for office, I know you don't actually live in the district that you're running in, so I then file a complaint and then the Board of Elections says, okay, show us some proof that you live where you say you live. That was the purpose of the way the statute got written. It was not about the insurrection activity. That's not what this was originally designed to do, but that's what these lawyers... Have decided to try to test, and if they are successful, they intend to then use this same sort of approach to target all sorts. I think they are at like 120 uh, Republican representatives that they want to try to target to to remove from office because that's what democracy is all about, don't you know? It's all about democracy, getting people removed from their elected positions. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Congressman Madison Cawthorn and his lawyer have responded to the challenge that's been filed against him, saying he should not be eligible uh, to run for office because of his role in the January 6th riot, and that's insurrection-y behavior, and so uh, because of the 14th Amendment barring anybody from engaging uh, or from uh, violating their constitutional oath. From the Civil War, uh, they should not be allowed to run as a candidate. And because of the way the statutes are written in North Carolina, he has to prove that he is eligible. So in his lawsuit that he filed on Monday, Cawthorn does not go into any of the details about January 6th or his actions. He says that... um, the point of the lawsuit is not to defend himself against the accusations, but rather to stop the process before it even gets to that point, according to the McClatchy uh, uh, article by Will Duran. Representative Cawthorn vigorously denies that he engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States, but this litigation is not based in factual defenses. Instead, this matter is before the court based upon various constitutional and legal challenges to the North Carolina Challenge statute itself and its application here. Um, He then goes on to cite uh, the 1872 Amnesty Act in which Congress decided to allow some former Confederate rebels to serve in Congress. He said it did keep a ban on former members of Congress who had served between 1859 and 1863 and later fought in the Confederacy, but it allowed others who had participated in insurrection against the U.S. government to serve in Congress despite their actions. So he concluded that the ban should not be able to apply to him or to anyone else. That's the News and Observer. Now, uh, about a week ago, the New York Times is Jonathan Weissman had a story on this, and uh, he quotes, I'm trying to find his name, Mr. Bopp, he's the lawyer, uh, James, James Bopp, one of the most prominent conservative campaign lawyers in the country. Representing Cawthorn, in an interview, he said the matter is the most frivolous case I've ever seen, but allowed that what he called an unethical exploitation of the North Carolina law by competent lawyers could pose a real threat to Cawthorn, and by extension to others that get labeled insurrectionists by left-wing lawyers. Quote, This is the real threat to our democracy. Just by bringing the complaint, they might jeopardize a member of Congress running for re-election. They have multiple targets. It just so happens that Cawthorn is the tip of the spear. That's because North Carolina's election statute offers challengers a remarkably low bar to question a candidate's constitutional qualifications for office. Once somebody establishes a reasonable suspicion or belief, that a candidate is not qualified then the burden shifts to the office seeker to prove otherwise you're really not going to like this standard folks friends on the left y'all really are not going to like this standard all it takes is for me to have a reasonable suspicion or belief that you are not qualified and then i have and then all i got to do is file a complaint and then you have to go in front of a board of elections which by the way governor roy cooper sued in order to keep his partisan appointments and advantage so it's a democrat-controlled board of elections because the republican general assembly changed the makeup of the board of elections to be bipartisan and cooper sued and said no it has to stay the way it is and so it stayed the way it was and so the governor continues to make the majority to make the appointments And so it's always a majority of whatever party he is. So if a Republican were to win the governorship. Maybe we just start filing a whole bunch of petitions against Democrat officials. Finding things they've said and tweeted and everything else. Votes they've taken. I now have a reasonable suspicion or belief that you are not qualified. Of sound mind or whatever. I don't know. Like. I'm just saying, like, when you start down this path, there's a reason why it's called a slippery slope. I think, like, people, they they hear that term, and it's like it doesn't register what exactly the slippery slope uh, means. It means it gets faster as you fall down the slope, because you start sliding. It's like it's slippery at first. Like, it's, it's, you're going to start, you know, take a couple steps, baby steps, I'm okay, I'm okay, ah! And then I'm down the slide. Like, that's the whole point of the analogy here. Um, Mr. Bob said, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment concludes with a key phrase that refers to the insurrectionist disqualification or disability. Quote, Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. He says Congress did that with the Amnesty Act of 1872 that declared, quote, all political disabilities imposed by the third section of the 14th Amendment were hereby removed from all persons whomsoever. So his argument is... That that's forever, that they just lifted that from everybody forever. Now, the uh, opposing view on this comes from Ron Fain, legal director for free speech for people. Uh, They're the ones that filed the complaint. He says that that is not true. The congressional debates leading up to the 14th Amendment, Congress considered but then rejected a draft that only applied to the Civil War and congress explicitly wrote that section to apply to future insurrections as well see so this really does hinge on whether or not you determine what january 6th was or uh, whether that was an insurrection rebellion or not right the definition of insurrection and rebellion that's what this is going to hinge on that's what i said and this is why i said when they filed the complaint and i had the complaint here i could go through it all i've got it all footnote or uh uh You know, earmarked. I've got the little post-it notes. I mean, not the full post-it note, just the little arrow ones, you know, and I've highlighted stuff. I've made notes in margins. I could go through all of this, but I don't know how this is going to get argued and I don't know if the partisan Board of Elections hears it. I don't know how they rule on it. I don't know if it gets appealed to another court. And so it's kind of like, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not going to make a prediction on this because I don't know. Because I don't know how these lawyers are going to interpret vocabulary. And I'm a wordsmith. If all it takes is a reasonable suspicion or belief that a candidate is not qualified under the 14th Amendment, and Democrats, along with Bob Orr, former Republican uh, Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, if that's all it takes, and we're going to uh, expand the definition of... uh, what is a suspicion of engaging in insurrection activity? Well, I would like to uh, submit that uh, there's a part of that sentence. It's not just insurrection or rebellion. It's also giving aid and comfort to the enemies of America. So just like Bob Orr and uh, the the lawyers that are suing Representative Madison Cawthorn to keep him off the ballot, and the, in, the intent here is also to then... Try to keep people like um, I'm sure they'll go after Dan Bishop. Uh, I'm sure, th- and they'll try to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot as well. That's the point here: get him off the ballots in as many states as possible. And that's why North Carolina and this one is a uh, is the test case. This is the tip of the spear, as the lawyer for Cawthorn said, and that is true. Because uh, if you can make it, if you can make it stick here, then you just start nailing all of the uh, people you want to throw out of office without an election because that's what democracy looks like. But if that's the case then uh then sorry like Republicans, conservatives, you guys got to go on offense too. Like the weaponization is already here. They're doing it already. And so that means Kamala Harris cannot be on the ballot. Anybody who has spoken in favor of the uh the protesters that went violent with the 2020 riots and such all around the state or America for that matter, um yeah, I mean, if anybody had donated money to a, a bail fund for, for the for the rioters and the looters, all of them. Anybody who's taken money from China, uh, anybody who has been for, you know, completely open borders, like, all like, seriously, like, if, as long as we're going to expand these definitions, there is no limiting principle. This is the thing that kills me about people who constantly want to rewrite stuff like this. You never stop to think what the limiting principle is. There isn't one here. It's just sort of an accepted conventional wisdom, an accepted norm, right? That's what the statute says, the the, the 14th Amendment. That's what it says. Shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, meaning the country, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. I can make that. I could turn that into almost anything. Seriously. You take the oath and then you do something that I think, under, like how about voting on more debt, right? Have you ever voted to expand the debt, raise the debt ceiling, deficit spend? How about engaging in and adopting programs that are antithetical to the Constitution, right, that are not in the Constitution? How about that? expanding government beyond the boundaries set forth, adopting or, uh, or uh, uh, allowing the federal government, I should say, to take on more uh, responsibilities in areas that are reserved to the people and the states, as it says in the Constitution. How about that? You voted to do that. You are no longer qualified, right? Seriously, like, there is no limiting principle here, but have fun storming the castle. No, seriously, I think it's really going to work out fantastic for us all. Um, when you redefine words like this, which is what they're doing, um, it is, this is what uh, I saw uh, Adam on Twitter uh, yesterday, talked about this, this redefinition of words. It's a, it's a form of psychological abuse. This is gaslighting. He's, a, he's actu- uh, uh, absolutely correct on that. It is a form of psychological abuse. And Jonathan Turley... Um, he has spoken, he wrote a blog post about this against what we're seeing here, and he equated it to what we see in dictatorships uh, and fascist countries like China and Venezuela and Iran, where they are, quote, democratic, only in the most artificial sense. He says that you can freely vote, but you get a preselected list of candidates. So if you start disqualifying candidates. This is banana republic type stuff. You start tossing people off the rolls before they can even run. So now they don't appear. So yes, you get to vote, but there isn't any practical choice. Right? While more modest than the Iranian model, the democratic calls for disqualification are just as dangerous. What is most maddening is that this anti-democratic effort is cloaked in democratic doublespeak. He says... Uh, It's like burning books in the name of literacy. By declaring January 6th, by declaring the riot an insurrection, some Democratic members of Congress and liberal activists hope to bar Republicans, incumbent Republicans, from running. Even support for uh, court filings is now being declared an act of rebellion. These are people who just said, I want to uh, file an amicus brief, in support of a position that they're, you know, I want to see an investigation. I want to see a probe. I want to see an audit, whatever. I have questions about the election because, you know, Democrats sued and did end runs around the legislature like they did in North Carolina in order to change election law. And so I want to get to the bottom of that. I want to find out what happened with that. And if you signed on to an amicus brief for something like that to demand an audit, by Turley's understanding is now you could be, Cited for engaging in what? Insurrection and rebellion. Right. So now you could be targeted because you're trying to overturn the outcome of the election, which, by the way, Democrats attempted to do when they filed their protests all those years against Republican presidents. But I digress. January 6th, Turley says, was a national tragedy. I publicly condemned President Trump's speech that day while it was being given, and I denounced the riot as a constitutional desecration. However, it has not been treated legally as an insurrection. Those charged for their role in the attack that day are largely facing trespassing and other less serious charges rather than insurrection or sedition. That's because this was a riot that was allowed to get out of control. By grossly negligent preparations by Capitol Police and congressional officials. While the FBI launched a massive national investigation, it did not find evidence of an insurrection. Which, by the way, where are the... uh, I saw somebody, uh, I think it was uh, Tim Young, the comedian, he posted on Twitter... What are they call the patriot guard or whatever they are those guys that dressed like uh undercover fbi agents or fbi guys at the academy with the blue polo shirts and the khaki pants and with the masks and yeah those guys like have we not identified any of them yet what's up with that those guys that were doing their marches around remember they were like oh it's gonna get violent again and then these guys showed up and they were like wow these guys all look like fbi agents anyway with an ominous midterm election approaching A lot of the effort among Democrats on the Hill and in the media has been to keep the enmity alive around January 6th. He says it was a protest that became a riot. It was reprehensible, but only a rebellion in the most rhetorical sense. All right, that is a wrap for the program. Thanks for hanging out. I do appreciate it. Brett Winterbull coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I will see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Yeah. Uh-huh.